Good morning, everyone. My name's Tanisha, and I have the pleasure of reading the Bible for us. Please excuse my voice. doesn't like the cold weather. This is Colossians 3, verses 1 to 17. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has any grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Good morning, everybody. Hey, do keep the conversation going. Wonderful to hear you chatting to one another. As we uh, unpack... The 17 or so verses, or 17, not or so, 17 verses today. Uh, listen to this. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither said C.S. Lewis 50 years ago. What do you think? An accurate assessment of our hearts and minds? Well, Paul is writing Colossians 3 to help us aim at heaven, just like C.S. Lewis challenges us on. And the context so far from chapter 1 to where we are is that growing as a Christian is about focusing on Jesus in heaven, not the angels in heaven. It's about seeking Jesus with our hearts and minds, putting sin to death, not punishing our bodies. It's about letting God's peace rule over us and in us as his word makes a home in our community, not following rules and regulations. And the big idea, as we get to chapter 3, is that to believe Jesus has risen from the dead would genuinely transform your life. 
to believe and know that Jesus has risen from the dead will transform your life. Meredith shared a very quick transformation, didn't she? But the renewal that you long for might not be as fast, it might be slow, but it will be real. As sure as Jesus has risen, it will be real and it will impact how you live here and now. And it will happen as we keep our minds on Jesus and things above. So today I want to encourage you to keep aiming for heaven in all we do think and say. And I hope that by the end you'll be that little bit more encouraged and amazed at who Jesus is. So how do we keep aiming at heaven? Well, first thought, I have three of them, is our actions help us enjoy God. Our actions help us enjoy God. Look at the first two verses. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. And when it comes to earning salvation, to winning God's approval, Colossians has reminded us each week that it's the finished work of Jesus on the cross that does that. Do you know what it means that Jesus has finished that? Stop, rest, relax, enjoy God's grace. He's done it. It is finished. Take a breath. But know that your actions do make a difference in your enjoyment of God. And relating to God does involve something of you. There are two commands, two imperatives in this verse, and it's the word seek and it's the worst word set. Uh, set. The word set. Set your hearts, set your mind. Imagine that you are planning to migrate to Japan with me. And you quite you really want to go. So I'm not forcing you, but you really want to go, and you naturally start to think about uh, the Japanese culture. You might go and get your taste buds ready by going and eating lots of sushi. You might set your mind towards learning the language and picking which alphabet you learn which week because there's a few of them. You might start thinking less about Aussie culture, more about the Japanese culture, more about how to live well when you get there after you've migrated, ready for a new life. And in the same way, we are to set our minds and hearts on heavenly things, the place that you are going to. Except, in a strange twist, you're actually already living there. Look at verse 3. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You've spiritually died with Jesus on the cross as he declared his great love for you. And your life is hidden in his hands. And just as if you might watch a YouTube video anticipating the places in Japan or how to say some of the words, in Jesus, you get to taste and see what it's going to be like when you see God in all his glory. You get to enjoy God by his spirit here and now as you keep sinking your heart and mind to the location of Jesus, which is the throne of God. And far from being unpractical or useless. When you think that way, it places your life in a bigger context than you could ever imagine. Do you know what that means? Colossians 3, 1 to 4, means that every day you do not have to follow your heart. You can set your heart on something concrete and sure, your mind on something peaceful, Jesus. 
your mundane, boring job now becomes an avenue to appreciate God, wondering what he's up to in all the hurry, worry and busy. And every day when you wake up, as the day comes at you, your day is more than just spilt milk, lost shoes and missing the bus. That even if your day does not start the way you hope, you can think, think of Jesus, your friend, who laid down his life for you, who has sorted everything out, and by setting your mind and heart on him, you are able to enjoy the God of creation, the God of the universe, the God who gave his own life for you, and wonder and ponder, what is he up to in all of this craziness? And the question is, are we making space in our life to set our hearts and minds on Jesus to enjoy him? Our actions help us enjoy God, but there are actions that also rob us of our joy in God. Being in Christ changes our attitude towards sin, which is 5 all the way through 10. Put to death, therefore, what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Put to death is a very strong phrase, but it, it, it means apply Jesus' death to your remaining sin. Let sin have no oxygen in your life. And how do you know what you need to suffocate? Well, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Literally, it means earthly belongings. Jesus gives us a heavenly vision for our earthly life, especially when it comes to our desires. Let me say it in another way. Does heaven's throne room have authority to inform your vision for sexual desires? Talk to any teacher and you know the harm that teenagers do to each other through sending explicit messages. Talk to a wife whose husband is addicted to pornography and you'll feel the pain. Billy Eilish, Eilish? Eilish, thank you. See, I had, I'm so trendy. Uh, she said, she said, uh, has been vocal, and you may have heard this, been very vocal on the harm that violent sexual acts do when children are exposed to them at a young age. It is not a stretch to say that sex is often used in a negative, sinful way against other people. Which is why God's vision for life lifts it higher than anything anyone else can imagine. It is something heavenly, a good gift from a good God that can be a great blessing when His intent and vision are applied to it. But make no mistake, idolatry, all idolatry, and misusing sex is a form of idolatry. It's taking a good thing, making it to a God thing, or ripping it out of its God-given context. And that earns His wrath. Imagine that all your desires in life are, are the planets in our solar system. They're designed to orbit around the sun, all the planets. And a slight variation on the tilt of one planet, and it can just be sent spinning off out of control, hurtling dangerously to another planet, or just going off into a universal void forever and ever. And my life and your life is filled with desires spinning and whizzing around, not actually orbiting anything of substance. Our own hearts do not have anywhere near the gravitational pull to give stability and hope and vision that we long for. But when we're raised with Christ, we now see how the planets of our life can revolve around the sun with purpose and joy. 
We finally see why that rogue planet is the way it is and the hope we need. And you see, knowing you've been raised with Christ puts the planets of your earthly and heavenly life in their proper orbit. It allows a heavenly perspective to determine our earthly life. And as we begin to reorbit around Jesus, we not only add habits to increase our joy of God, we take away habits that once earned the wrath of God. We approach them with such intensity that we cut the oxygen off so they will not thrive. And one of those ways is also killing ungodly speech. Words are telling of our spiritual state. And I can't see inside your heart and mind, but language often tells me what's in my heart. Now for the Colossians, in the context of this, the, these voice sins, so to speak, were exactly how those were influencing them away from Jesus. They were tempting others through false words, malicious language, away from Jesus. But the reality is when you talk this way, it is, it's impossible to live in a harmonious society. And you know that well, I'm sure. All around you, words are used to promote the speaker, to hide the truth, to blame, to manipulate, to make a story seem more impressive than what it was. But did you know, did you know if your life is hidden with Jesus, one of those planets is your speech. And it orbits around your identity in Christ. And suddenly the greatest voice is his. The opinion that actually matters is his opinion of me. And his voice is the gravity that holds me down, enabling you and me to be truthful like our God is truthful. To use language to build up, not tear down. And as Paul reminds the Colossians, a vision of sex and speech that doesn't include God all belong to the life they once lived. If your life is hidden with Christ in heaven, aim at heaven and it will bleed over into your earthly existence and desires and world. And the reason it will do that is because you've been given a new self and have put on the new self. Did you know there is no command in that verse? Have put on is past tense. Is being renewed is present tense. And that is beautiful news. If you have young kids, you'll probably have the experience of seeing them change clothes 15 times a day. They get up and they get dressed, they have breakfast, they spill things, they change their clothes. If you've got young kids, the nappy exploded, you have to change their clothes. You go out, you put them in the car, they vomit, you change their clothes. They decide they don't like their clothes, they dress up in other clothes and they put other clothes on. You spend your whole life chasing the clothes around the house. And when you get older, you still do that. Hopefully not the changing them for some of those gross reasons. But if you wear clothes for work. But you put different clothes on for a wedding. You wear different clothes to the gym. You work in the garden with other clothes as well. When I was in the city this week, I saw lots of maroon and blue clothes for the state of origin. Now this idea of image of putting on clothes is applied to the Christian life. We are the body of Christ coming out in Colossians week after week. And clothed, and this, new, this body is clothed with a new nature. But you only need one pair of clothes as a Christian. And it's a pair you're already wearing. Do you see that? You are already, right now, if you know Jesus, you have all the clothing you need. And you'll never take it off again. It's a pair that's constantly being renewed in the knowledge 
of the image of its creator. This is washing yourself in the knowledge of the person you're made for, which is Jesus, the Supreme Son. This is the knowledge of the place you're made for, heaven with God in all his glory, who you are going to. It is a knowledge like hand sanitizer that wipes off those marks as you bump around a sinful, tricky world. It's the knowledge that tells you you were once living that way, but now you are holy. You are dearly loved. You are made to be deep in God's word, joyfully giving thanks to God the Father. And as the body of Jesus, we do that together, which is what 11 to 16 talk of. If Jesus unites our desires, our language, he also unites people groups as well. Look at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, love, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. In verse 11, we're reminded that every believer wears the same uniform, and it's Jesus. To use a superficial example, it would be like having in this room all the maroons, all the blues, all the poor, all the crow supporters, all coming together, united under something bigger than their sporting code or their teams. United under Christ, right? And then under Christ, when we're clothed with him, we're able to extend those behaviors in verse 12 to all other people. And Paul's point here is that the church is more like a fitness center than a high-functioning sporting team. It's a place full of trophies of grace like you and me who are still works in progress. And with our new clothing and our new nature already on, instead of reverting to an old way of life with anger, rage, maliciously setting out to harm others, God, like the good personal trainer, gives us the uniform we need, but then he personally coaches us through tricky bits of community life. And the first thing he does is he reminds you that you're forgiven so that you can extend that to the others. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Did you know it was God's good pleasure to forgive you? Do you know it was God's joy to adopt you? He forgives you enough to make you holy. Verse 12. He removes your sin so that his love can radiate in your heart and mind, unhindered. John Owen, one of the reformers, says this, The greatest burden and sorrow and unkindness you can lay on God the Father is. What is the, what's the greatest burden you could ever lay on God? Not to believe he loves you. Which is why verse 14 hits you in the face. Above all this, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love is like the catalyst in a reaction. The eggs that bind the cooking together. It's what's making forgiveness possible. We put on love because we enjoy the Father's love. And in every instance of being confronted with someone else's sin, the love of the Father is binding us to our new nature. You know, every one of us will experience challenges in life. It could be financial, 
could be moving to a new church, it could be a medical diagnosis, conflict, job stress, and, and, and realize that all of them impact us deeply. The mental load that life has on us is huge. You may be doing nothing new in your job, but the mental pressure you face Monday to Saturday is just immense. And what Paul is asking us to consider is as we kick around life, Paul is asking us this new nature can impact your well-being in a positive way. We live in a community that have a new nature. They all wear it too. Showing grace to one another. Consider that the church gathered should be the safest and best place to navigate life with because of who we are in Christ and of verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. The peace spoken of here is peace amongst the church. And again, we're given the peace of Jesus first to, to do what? To rule over us. And like forgiveness, once having tasted God's kindness and love, we, we extend that to others. And of course, if you've ever felt tension, it often takes up about 90% of your brain space, doesn't it? You feel sick having to talk through a conversation and conflict. And for sure, we... We don't tolerate in the church any form of abuse or manipulation or overbearing behavior. No traces in Jesus' church at all, please. We confront, we remove, we hold to account behavior for the sake of the body and the glory of God. A standard that only God would be pleased with to give Him glory. We don't hide or cover up. But at the same time, we don't cancel people either. We don't cancel someone when they mess up. Now, navigating that space is tricky. But, did you know the way that you cannot be overwhelmed as you navigate that? It's this wonderful three words that, that an English teacher groans at because there's a full stop before the word and. But it says, and be thankful. Did you know thankfulness to God is the free way that lets God's peace rule over us? And being thankful to God is a wonderful habit to build into your daily life because gratitude leads us back to God. And building gratitude and thankfulness to God in your life clears the roadblocks. Tim Chester uses the phrase, we live in a fathered world. We live in a fathered world. Meaning, when we're grateful to God, it lifts our minds and hearts from the gifts to the giver, from the challenges to the one who loves us to bits and gave himself for us and is with us and in us. And he's ruling us with his peace. And don't, don't think that I'm oversimplifying the emotional toll here. This verse can be sat and chewed on for a long time and there's more to it. But there is at least that. But don't think as well the body of believers is just waiting for conflict. We don't gather and kind of go, well, when are we going to have conflict because we've got all the tools we need? Yes, God gives us strategies and mechanisms to navigate it, but the way we lean into thankfulness 95% of the time is through being deep in the Word together. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So we're commanded to let the peace of Jesus rule in us and the word of Jesus dwell in us. And notice how all-encompassing that is. It's preached in church. It's sung. 
we remind each other of the gospel in our interactions. And all those different pieces working together, a deep trust in God's word grows. It increases thankfulness and gratitude to God so that in whatever you do, whether in word or deed, you do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And that takes us back to the start, actually. By letting God's word dwell richly among us, Because you see, God is quite interested in changing your approach to others. God is quite interested in confronting us with our attitudes towards sin. And God is wonderfully interested in giving us bucket loads of grace to do that. So then, let us be a church who plod along as trophies of grace, aiming at heaven. In all we do, for the glory of God, giving thanks to Him, And so would you join me as we do that? And I'm sure that for most of us, one or two parts of those 17 verses have been trickier than others. And so what I want you to do is as we we sing now, why not think of the enthroned ruling Jesus and, and give to him, through prayer, whatever it is that God has laid upon your heart whatever burden it is that you have carried or that's been prodded into you by the Spirit this morning, as we sing, ask Jesus to very kindly have his way with you. Hand that over to him through prayer, trusting that he is ruling and reigning by his grace in your life to make you more like him. And as the song finishes, let's give thanks to God. So, uh, Mike, if you'd be so kind in just a moment to uh, push the button for the song, let me pray And then let's stand and sing once the song comes on uh, to our wonderful God. Great God and Father, you sent your supreme, sovereign, ruling Son to live and die, to rise, to give us new life, uh, where we can now live with you in heaven for all eternity and that impacts us now. May you give us such a vision and a joy and a heart and an awe and amazement of you that it impacts Monday to Friday and the weekend. Father, help us to to confess and hand over those pointy parts of these verses to you so that you may graciously help us see that we are in Christ, we have a new nature, and that you love us to bits. In your name we pray. Amen.